What would you do and how would you feel if someone made his or her way into, into the crowd of your friends? And I was thinking specifically of students. You're in school and, and you're developing friendships with classmates in school. Or perhaps you're in the workplace and you're developing friendships with those colleagues at work. And you've spent considerable time developing those friendships, trying to understand each other. And you go away. Let's say it's, if you're in school, it's that summer vacation but you're not staying in the home community, you're actually vacationing away from your friends. And while you're away from your friends, someone comes in and befriends your friends and trash talks you, puts you down. How will you feel? if you're coming back to that community, if you're coming back to school in the fall and you know that your friends are looking at you in a totally different way. That's, in a sense, the scene of this second letter that Paul is writing. Actually, it's his fourth letter, as most would say. You remember that he, in his first letter, spoke about a letter that he had written to the church there in Corinth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to come to keep company with sexually immoral people. He wrote that in chapter 5 and verse 9 in that first letter that he writes to the Corinthians. So apparently there was something written Then that first letter, and what happens after he writes that first letter in which he calls specific people to repentance? Apparently, he hears that these super apostles have come in and infiltrated this church that the Lord used Paul to establish during his second missionary journey in the 18 months that he was there. And here are his children in the faith. Here's this young church. This young church that by the grace of God came to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand that their salvation is rooted and grounded in faith. And in come these super apostles. And they begin to sow seeds of discord. And they begin to trash talk the apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul hears about that, and the Apostle Paul makes a quick trip there, and what does he find? He finds, indeed, there is a ringleader, and he's out to belittle Paul. And so Paul leaves, and he sends a severe letter. He sends that severe letter with Titus, and Titus goes up with that severe letter to the Corinthians, 
And this evening we'll see the marvelous results of God's grace through that severe letter. But this morning we're looking at just a few verses that say here's why Paul didn't make a trip to Corinth that he promised to make. So let's give attention to what he has to say to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 23 and going through verse 4, not verse 2 of chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, uh, reading through the second chapter and the fourth verse. Hear now God's word. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over you, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad, but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Here's why the Apostle Paul did not make the trip He said he would make in the 16th chapter of his first inspired letter uh, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, who all, with all, who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. The letter he wrote, this second letter, to that church, according to what I've just read in, as his introduction, uh, he's writing this to us as well. But the first thing we notice is that Paul calls God as witness against his soul. I can remember frequently hearing as I was growing up, as God is my witness. I don't hear that so much anymore. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're 
old enough to remember those days when people would say, as God is my witness. But what are we saying when we say, as God is my witness? Aren't we saying what we often hear when we witness a courtroom scene and a witness is being sworn in? Do you solemnly promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help you God? And is it interesting that the Apostle Paul begins at this point in here's why I didn't come. He wants you and me, he wants the Corinthians to know that what he says and what he does is always done under the watchful eye of God. He affirms the omnipresence of God. He wants you and me to understand that God's eye is always upon us. He's a witness to everything we say, to everything we do. Now commentators will tell us that this is an oath, that he's actually making an oath. As God is my witness, what I'm telling you is true. It may well be understood rightly as an oath, but at least for me, It drives home the point, doesn't it? That we can't hide from God. There's absolutely nothing that we do that God doesn't witness. And that should be a very sobering thought. How often do we live our lives devoid of the reality that God watches what we do and he hears what we say. In fact, he knows our very thoughts. You see, the Apostle Paul wants to make it very clear, here's why. And you can count on it being true. Because I don't lie in the presence of God. And the second thing we notice is that Paul wants to spare the Corinthians something. He wants to spare the Corinthians something. That to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. And what is it that he wanted to spare them? Twice he says sorrow. Twice he says sorrowful. The Apostle Paul does not want to come to them because, first of all, if he were to come to them, 
given the circumstances in which they're living, he would be sorrowful. It would grieve his heart to see his children, his children in the faith, behaving as they're behaving. But not only that, he recognizes that because of some of what's going on there, there are people there who are also sorrowful. Not only that, the individual that he has spoken to regarding the individual being the ringleader of these super apostles, he's made that person sorrowful because he's called that person out for his sin. Think about it. When someone in a congregation of the people of God needs to be called out because of his or her sin, that person is going to be sorry. And there no doubt will be people who are friends with that person who are also going to be sorry. And it has grieved the heart of Paul that he has to grieve the heart of the person that he's calling out in this severe letter that the Apostle Paul sent with Titus up or down to Corinth. They had called Paul fickle. Perhaps they were saying, Paul is coming, had come to you as one with authority and you've believed because Paul had a dominating spirit over you. He kind of brought you to Christ out of fear because of the way he lorded it over you. And that's why the Apostle Paul would have to write, I, I don't have dominion over your faith. I'm not the Lord of your faith. Who is? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who, who worked in the hearts and lives of, of these to whom he's writing. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greeks. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And then that Habakkuk passage that we read. You see, the gospel that the Apostle Paul was preaching was salvation by grace through faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that faith is what? That faith is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any should boast. Isn't that what Paul wrote uh, to the Ephesians? But the Apostle Paul also understands that they are standing in faith. What's the Apostle Paul saying? 
I am not coming to you because of the sorrow that exists. But you need to understand that your standing is rooted and grounded in the faith that God has gifted you that has enabled you to lay hold of Jesus Christ to own him as your Lord and your Savior. You're not Christians because of me, the Apostle Paul is trying to make clear. You're Christians because the gospel is what saves. And the gospel is what I preached to you. The Apostle Paul is being a shepherd. A shepherd. According to the words that we read in 1 Peter. Obey those who roll over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would, not, uh, would be unprofitable for you. It's the words written to the Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse 17. Do you understand why one of the queries in the covenant of communicant membership has to do with this very matter of sheep and shepherds, of discipline that sometimes has to take place in the body of Christ? Do you promise to submit in the Lord to the teaching and government of this church as being based upon the scriptures and described in substance in the Constitution of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America? Do you recognize your responsibility to work with others in the church? And do you promise to support and encourage them in their service to the Lord? In case you should need correction in doctrine or in life, do you promise to respect the authority and discipline of the church? Our profession of faith involves a promise to minister with each other in a way that brings glory to God and enhances the testimony of the church to the watching world. But we also promise 
if my doctrine or if my life doesn't comport with what the scriptures teach, I will welcome the shepherds of my life whom I know at the end of their lives must give an account for the way they shepherded the sheep. And in the 42 years plus of active and then retired ministry, I suppose one of the hardest things that I've had to face in the body of Christ are brothers who aren't faithful to their vow regarding the matter of discipline. But the Apostle Paul isn't going to come because he doesn't want to be seen as the Lord of people's faith. He doesn't want to come as one who's going to bring grief and sorrow. He wants to come working together with his brothers and sisters for the joy, for the joy that needs to exist and will exist in a congregation of God's people who indeed don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit of God who does what? Who bears that fruit of joy. That fruit of joy, as we'll be looking at this evening, through repentance. The angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner repents. And don't we, as a congregation of the people of God, rejoice when a sinner repents and the fruit of their repentance is borne out in their lives. I just had the privilege of hearing the testimony of a young lady, 31 years of age, who six months ago finally said, I've had it with the idols of this world. Jesus, I need you. <laughs> and there we were just saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> what a marvelous, marvelous exhibit of the power of the gospel. And to see that person added to the visible church. What a privilege. And Paul says, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one, the one who is made sorrowful by me when a sinner repents. The people of God rejoice with the angels.
and I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul is concerned that his children in the faith experience the joy, the joy of their salvation. And then the third thing that we notice is Paul wrote with tears of much affliction and anguish because of his abundant love for them. His abundant love for them. How prone we are to seek vengeance when someone trashes our name. How prone we are to get revenge when we're hurt because our integrity is questioned. How prone we are to want to break fellowship The Apostle Paul, because of the love that he experiences in Jesus Christ, responds out of that love with love. And the word that he uses for affliction The word that he uses for affliction is a word that is used to describe in the old English justice system what would happen if a person were called into a court and wasn't willing to plea. They would take a heavy, heavy, heavy weight and they would place it on that person's chest. And if that person would not plea, if that person would not testify, if that person would not speak, that heavy weight would be their death. As it crushed their chest cavity. It's with that heavy heart, that burden that comes from a deep love for the Savior and for the children of the Savior. As he anguished, he anguished 
for that sinner to repent. And for those who had listened to the super apostles, if you please, to the extent that they were trashing Paul. He spared coming. He spared coming because of the sorrow that would await him if that one hadn't repented. And doesn't this remind us God desires that none should perish but all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why do you tarry Lord Jesus? Because the gospel has not covered the earth. So that all those for whom his beloved son died would be added to the church by a credible profession of faith in due season. Paul's life testifies to the grace of God who is forbearing, who is waiting patiently waiting for the right moment that only he knows that he'll send his son and bring about the consummation. I spared coming, Paul says, and here's why. Here's why. I'm waiting for the joy of the salvation of the one who needs to repent. Sound like our Father in heaven? Here's why. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life.